Ladislas Maurice from The Wandering Investor, LLC. This, this, is, this is Diversified, Diversified. Game. 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 Game, a podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. And today on Diversified Game, these are some of my favorite interviews to do. So whether you're listening on iTunes, iHeart, our new partner in Sierra Leone, African Young Voices Radio, I hope that this game blesses you and that you become wiser and hopefully you know, diverse and richer. But I have YouTube Zone. You guys can watch it on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. The Wondering investor. And I found him because I was like, who is talking about stock outside of the good America, the greatest country ever to be born? Where, you know, and you guys know I, I, I'm a dual citizen. I'm born in America, but I'm a dual citizen. And I wanted to find out. And I found this channel and I was like, wow, I love it. He's not as... um ostentatious as maybe some of us would be who travel the world, but that's a good thing because somebody has to have some sense. So let us list. How are you doing today? Hey, good, good, Kellen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Can you tell people who have yet to click on your channel, but they will, God willing, go check you out, uh, watch, follow, and participate in the comments. Tell them, how did you come up with this? I know Canadians have all the fun and travel uh, and you guys see the world and do it very humbly. But like what sparked this? I'm just going to wander around and invest globally. Yeah. So I did the whole corporate thing for quite a few years. Um, worked for Nestle, the big food company, which you're very familiar with in Sierra Leone. Um, worked, and then they expatriated me to South Africa for a number of years and then to Ghana. So nearby. And there I was in charge of the, the milk business for, for Nestle, for Ghana, Ivory Coast, uh, Sierra Leone, actually, and, uh, and Liberia. So I was in charge of Nido, which you know very well. And so I did that for a number of years. And afterwards, I left and I went traveling. And as I was traveling, I just saw all of these investment opportunities in these frontier and emerging markets. And I started doing deals myself, so buying real estate um doing renovations flipping um also buying shares on local stock exchange and doing that so i of course i invest as well in traditional you know western markets and new york etc but i have a significant amount of my portfolio which is in these frontier markets that few people ever talk about. Wow. Since you mentioned Salon, um, let the people know how you know much time you spent out there. And of course, the number one question is, do you speak Creole? You know, Couche. And they want, they want to know. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I had my flights booked to go to Sierra Leone, there was Ebola back then. So mm. I couldn't go. Um, it represented about 1% of my business. So I had to focus on Ghana, uh, which was about 90% of my business. Ivory Coast was approximately 6% of my business, like Beria, 3%. And Sierra Leone was uh, the very small part. So I never got to go there, unfortunately. And now you are, are you full-time entrepreneur? 
Yes, full-time entrepreneur, mostly full-time investor. Okay, can you tell the people, you know, whether they're listening in Freetown or if they're listening in Kentucky or Toronto, you know, you have a job, you're working corporate, it sounds like it was a good job and they're sending you, you know, a young person, uh, maybe you're you're single then, maybe you might be single now and free. How do you take the salary they give you? Because I know it was it started at what million uh, Canadian dollars, right? Um, how do you how do you take that money and then say, okay, I'm going to make these high risk investments and I'm going to do this full time? Like, do you have to put away a certain amount of money, or did you hit real big on something where you're like, you know what, I can do this for the next five years or fifty years and I'm okay? Look, I made some some decent money, and then whilst I was still working in corporate, I made some investments on the side, so I was relatively okay, but. It, it wouldn't be an amount that would be enough to retire on. But at the age of 30, you know, um, I figured, look, I can either go down that that path of just working seven years a week in corporate and then uh, going bald and then getting married mm-hmm. to some gold digger that eventually hates me um, <laughs> and never see my kids. Or I can try to create a life for myself. That's interesting. Uh, challenging. And yes, that has risks. But you know, at the end of the day, um, I embrace risk and I try to mitigate it as well. And when he's talking about the gold diggers, he's, you know, he has to stop dating those American women. So, um, you know, <laughs> but American women stay away from me, but um, I'm, I'm old and married. So I don't, I don't have those, those issues. Um, now with the investments, you know, you don't give financial advice and this is not, you know, financial advice, but it's financial insight. When you're investing into other stock markets, how do you go about, you know, research and saying, you know what, this is the right one because you're, you're a newbie. You're a JC, as they say in Salon, you know, Johnny just come. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the advantage of looking at markets like in Africa, actually, a lot of the markets in Africa are in many ways quite simple. Um, you, you know, you can open a bank, a brokerage account in Kenya, um, in Tanzania, in Rwanda, or in uh, Abidjan that has the, the West African stock market for a lot of the Francophone stocks. And you open a brokerage account remotely. Typically, you just need to fill out a few documents, certify your passport copy, send it through to some broker in, you know, Abidjan, for example. And then you wire some money and typically you don't, you have a lot of companies, but not that many have liquidity. So you're often left with maybe 10 to 20 companies that have enough liquidity for you to invest in. And then you literally go onto the websites of all of these companies and you try to get an understanding of what their businesses are. And you know, the economy in Sierra Leone, it's pretty simple. Um, You know, There's a beer company, there's a cement company, there's like a small, maybe supermarket chain, though not really, it's mostly Lebanese distributors, they're not listed, but you have all of these little companies that are quite big locally, but that have simple business models that are easy to understand. So as a retail investor, that it isn't necessarily extremely sophisticated, it's not that hard to understand a beer company. You know, it's, are you selling more beer? How much margin are you making? Is distribution increasing? And is it a profitable business? And do I believe that Ivorians are going to grow in population? Probably. Um, And actually, statistically, yes. And will they continue drinking beer? Most definitely. 
So you just invest in these local blue chip companies and then just drive the wave of emerging Africa, essentially, of the, the economies gradually getting better. So obviously, it comes with a lot of volatility, the political volatility, um, sometimes currency volatility as well. But, you know, you, you got to take a snapshot in time and, and ask yourself, cool, I'm buying this beer company now. Do I think that this company will be selling more beer um, and still just as profitably 15 years from now? And then you make that decision, yes or no. So I'm of the opinion that long term, a lot of these African countries should do very well. Um, but I understand that I'm going to have to write out, you know, volatility in the meantime. But long term, I feel very comfortable investing in a lot of these countries and companies for essentially retirement. I see my Africa shares as essentially a retirement investment and not as a short-term speculation. And that's really important because, you know, in the days of everything great is in crypto NFTs and the blockchain. And they say it like they know how to build it when they say it like that. Um, the blockchain, it's going to make you rich if you get in right now on this thing. It's the new MLM. You know, it's the new hype. It's the new snake oil. You're talking long term. So can you give someone an example? You know, let's say they have their first $10,000 saved or they have an additional $10,000 saved. They say, look, I want to get into, you know, beer. Of course, Africans are going to keep drinking beer or there's going to be war. Same thing would happen in the UK or, you know, Australia, if there's no beer, there's going to be some real conflict. So the beer is going to flow. Even in war, the beer is going to flow. How long would you say, you know, you would keep um, like a beer investment? Would it be five, 15, 20 years? And would you like take little disbursements out, you know, here and there? The way, look, if you look at Sierra Leone, um, the population of Sierra Leone, of uh, Freetown is expected to what double by 2050. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an, and if you're right now in your 30s or your 40s and you want something that would, you know, give you healthy dividends for many years to go, I this is the sort of investment that I would just buy now and keep long term. So you've got beer companies all over Africa that you can invest in that give decent dividends, typically around like four to 6%. Um, they're growing double digits every year. Um, they have very clean balance sheets, very little debt, if any at all. And they have very strong market shares as well. Now, if the, any of this goes over your head, you guys pause it, uh, rewind it. I know majority of you are listeners, wherever you are listening, but can, you know, you're talking about opening up the, the brokerage accounts. How easy is it for that person who, you know, I've interviewed a 13 year old millionaire on this platform. He made his millions from the stock, uh, Christian, the truth Jones, that's his name, but nice. someone who's not as sophisticated as, um, Christian is, and he's been doing it since he was eight. Um, you know, they say, well, how easy is there ever a time if I if I need to take the money that I I, I can take it back because I just don't know about those African companies I I've heard about four one nine and I just don't know because stock I mean in stock everything could be four one nine you know even in America they, you could be wiped out in a day so how easy is it for people to pull that money or to get the information on the company because a lot of times. When people don't know, they, you know, they talk themselves out of it. Look, you, you raise a, a very good point, and it's actually a number of very good points that you raise. So one is obtaining inf- information. Um, 
in the more developed equities markets in so let's exclude south africa and like north africa from this discussion because those are those are different worlds uh but in east africa generally the 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 capital markets are more developed so if you go into the kenyan market you go onto the companies you typically do have um quite a lot of information shareholder reports and financial reports and all of that and there's more local press that's online if you start going into west africa excluding nigeria you start going into ivory coast for example um there there isn't that much information online and that's that's an issue so for west africa specifically unless you can actually trust your broker locally to give you good financial advice um which i'd be a bit wary of you actually need to spend time on the ground to actually see okay these companies are doing well i'm seeing that this company is is developing um so there you need i'd say more local insight when you're into the 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 west african markets than when you are in east africa where things are a little bit more transparent and developed in terms of taking money out of the country it can be an issue twofold so one liquidity which we discussed because not all of these companies are readily tradable so sometimes you go onto the stock market and no one's selling so you can't buy you put a you know no one's selling um so you need to wait a few days until someone actually tries to sell some shares and then you try to buy um so getting in is not easy getting out is not always easy depending on the stock some of the stocks are very liquid like some of the main banks etc you can buy and sell relatively easily um and then getting money out of the country this depends on capital controls so typically there are no capital controls for foreign investors that buy on the local equities markets it's just paperwork that you need to fill out and then your broker can send money back to your back to your country now capital so but the issue is capital controls could always suddenly show up again i mean um i almost speculated on the zimbabwean stock market in the early 2010s after they had kicked out all the farmers um the economy was completely ransacked and um and they dollarized the economy and then once they dollarized start things started picking up again so i almost invested in the zimbabwean stock exchange at that point um but then they instituted capital controls again so even if you invested there you can't really get money out same thing with nigeria for example so nigeria as a foreign investor and that's a big stock market and that's a massive economy so i mean people in america cannot fathom how big Nigeria is just from a population wise it's that place is honestly a little scary even so huge economy extremely entrepreneurial um people in every sense of the word and you can buy stocks there of and the, the local market is very liquid so you can buy sell easily but the issue is when you sell stocks in Nigeria you end up with nairas on your trading account and then when you you're allowed to send money back officially because you're a foreign investor you you can't take your money out but the issue is there's a queue for dollars at the central bank so you sell your whatever your Guinness breweries local stock um or some cement company 
you end up with Naira's and you tell your broker, cool, I want dollars back in the US. He'll be like, sure, let me fill out the central bank paperwork. And then you're going to get, you're going to wait months for your turn in the queue to exchange your Naira's into whatever $15,000 to send back. And in the meantime, you've got Naira exposure and you don't really know what to do because you're, you've got the cash. You don't want to really reinvest it because you're hoping to, to get US dollars. And with all of the, I mean, I'm not going to accuse people of being corrupt, but there there's hearsay that, you know, certain people with more access um, get to cut the queue. But if you're just a normal retail investor in, in the US or in Canada or wherever, um, trying to get money out of Nigeria, you're certainly not going to cut the queue. Now, this next question is definitely not don't take any of this as advice that you're going to do. But Kellen, you know, um, is the um, I'm a creative mind. And so my thought is, OK, if I have this Naira that I even even go pick up. Right. Is it possible that I can go grab the Naira or ship it to another bank? Right. Maybe I'm going to ship it over. When you say Zimbabwe, I remember when being a Zimbabwean trillionaire was nothing. You might have been able to get a Coke and a smile. Um, <laughs> can you not ship the money? Like, let's say you have a UBA account. Right. Um, can you not? ship it to another country and then kind of play that game for someone or, you know, appreciation, which some of you guys will say, is that bribe It's appreciation. It's a toll to get in front of the line. Is any of that possible? Cool. So the easy, because the thing is with a lot of African countries is even if you're allowed to take money out, even if there's no queue at the central bank, banks will make it extremely bureaucratic and complicated for you to send the money out of the country. So the easiest way at this point in time is crypto. Um, so in most African markets, there is a there is an underground market, which obviously I do not recommend. This is not financial advice, but of a guy that you call and who sends another guy on a motorbike who comes, takes cash from you, and then typically between minus five and seven percent, you then get within 10 minutes crypto in your wallet. And that is by far the easiest way for normal, everyday people to get money in and out of the country. Um, that's out of the country because in is easy, out is hard. That's typically the easiest way. You can do Western Union, et cetera, but these people are thieves in terms of fees. Yeah, for real. <laughs> we can say that again. And MoneyGram, you're right behind them. Uh, thank God for World Remit and SendWave and all the other places that give us options. Now, with the crypto, you know, talk, um, take putting it in the the crypto. Are you? I mean, Africa does more mobile money than we do here in the states. And so, to me, crypto is like, yes, everyone should do it. But you know. Is it just Bitcoin, Ethereum that you've seen or, you know, for those who say, well, what about my Shiba coin? Which I'm like, haha, told you guys it's a long term play. Um, you know, is it just the the top tier ones or are they dealing with, you know, a gamut of uh, cryptos that you can do that with? When you're dealing with uh, for remittances, trying to get yeah. money in and out it's the top cryptos and then stable coin as well like usdt and and that yeah because the okay. purpose is literally blasting through 
um, government control, and then you just want the highest liquidity coins for that. Okay, because you know there's some people who they just live in live and live for just maybe one or two coins. So just wondering, like you know, they like to make it difficult, but you can always you know transfer. Now with your business, it seems like you're having the time of your life. You're even writing eBooks. I want to see physical books because I either need physical books or audio. It's very hard for me to stare at the screen all day because I'm doing that anyway. Do you have any plans or is there a way to be able to get physical books from from you? No, no, no. Books are honestly too much work. Um, (laughs) Books are too much work. Okay. Okay. Well, that's why you hire somebody to, you know, or maybe a publishing deal um, if if you want to go that way. Or do you like kind of just having, you know, just it's all on you and, you know, you have your freedom to do what you want to do and you don't have to be responsible for like a team of people. I've got, um, I hired recently. My, uh, my assistant is actually from Ghana. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're building out your team and and it's an African team. Um, I'm just curious, what is that your assistant? They can't put the books together. I'll send a couple videos and say, Hey, do, <laughs> do this. I think, you know, for those of like me who just struggle, just like, Oh, I got to read this off the screen. I'm trying to take a break. Um, you know, I, I'm going to, I'll push back uh, off air with, with that one. Now you're building. Can you tell people, do you have even a home that you call home? Are you just constantly on the road? I'm constantly on the road. So I have um, like residencies from a legal point of view um, mm-hmm. where I have a substantial amount of presence. Um, but is there a place where I spend 10 months of the year? Not at all. No, I'm I'm on the road most of the year. Okay. And, and so I, you just, know- I just came back from, so right now I'm in Switzerland for a little bit. And right before I was in Colombia, in Panama, then I'm off to next trips or to Ukraine, to Turkey, uh, Montenegro. So I have always going around. How do you know when it's time to leave? (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Good point. Uh, Yeah, you know, when you start getting too many phone calls, you need to go. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I, I say that because I, I remember being single and people saying, well, you know, why do you travel so much? I said, I don't travel as much as I want to, but I mean, I want to see the world. It's the best out, you know, this beats anything that you can get in a grad program, seeing the world. Um, I, I just want to just want to know because people will kind of make you feel guilty, especially if you're single and you're traveling. It's like, why are you running? Why are why are you not wanting to, you know, put down roots? And even with my kids and my wife, we move every four to six years. I'm happy here in Florida, but I'm planning, you know, for the, the next home or whatnot. W- what is it about just the urge to travel? It's it's more than an urge. I'd say it's look, I manage my money very carefully. And when you go into emerging markets, as as you know, in Sierra Leone, emerging markets and frontier markets are typically very data poor. It's it's dangerous to invest in these markets if you don't actually have local insight and a local feel for what's happening. So before I go and, and put substantial amounts of money in these places, I need to spend time on the ground to meet people, to do my due diligence and to really understand what's actually happening or else what am I going to do? I'm going to 
sit somewhere in Western Europe on some computer and, you know, Google, um, like investing in, in the stock market in Ivory Coast. Like, I'm not going to get anything out of this. I, I wouldn't, I need to spend time on the ground. And that's allows me to get an edge because the reality is when you're investing in Western markets, you're fighting against, um, like much smarter people than you, uh, much smarter people that have a lot deeper talk pockets than you, you're fighting against algorithms. It's hard to have an edge. It's a lot easier to have an edge in a lot of these emerging and frontier markets. If you're willing to spend time on the ground. Okay. Okay. And you know, one thing about your videos and even your website that I find interesting because you don't monetize as much as you could, but you're actually giving, you know, information of agents that, you know, can help people in the different countries. I I just assume that you're getting at least 2% commission off when you make those referrals and that if people, you know, really want and need someone to hold their hand in these emerging markets, that's a service that you're doing when they contact you. Is that correct? So typically I make um, some referral fee. Honestly, it's less than 2% in most cases from from real estate agents. Um, My goal is that people can go to my website and find reliable and trustworthy people to work with and that they end up paying the normal price. And I just get a small commission from the normal price because I want people to see the value in using my, my network. Uh, and then I get repeat customers. So that's how I'm trying to build this business. Oh, and and what, what is the goal? Like, as like, you want to just cover the whole world and have the most trustworthy people. So if people want to go here, because, you know, Africa, everybody's trying to fall bush and go somewhere else. So in Sierra Leone, people can listen and say, hold on, this guy can help me, like, you know, get to uh, Montenegro or Finland. Um, You know, what's the goal for you? My goal ultimately is there's a lot of synergy between my blog and what I do. So essentially, I'm already doing these things for my to manage my own money. And then I create this blog on the side, which doesn't really cost me much because all the information I'm gathering for myself anyways. But two, my goal ultimately is to help people obtain greater freedom. Because, I mean, we're in a world where freedom is under attack from many different angles. And internationalizing and diversifying your assets is one way of, of, of regaining some of that freedom back. Mm, I, I like that. I like that. So what's the, I mean, and we've talked about it this whole interview, but what's a community give back that you're doing now or that you would like to do in the future? So right now I'm investing in a um, chicken distribution business in the Gambia. Um, so we're creating, so our partner on the ground is creating a few stores to sell locally made chicken and local eggs, as opposed to, as you know, in Sierra Leone, like most of the chicken is imported from the U S or from Brazil or from wherever. Um, so really trying to, to help local chicken farmers with their distribution locally. Um, so that's creating a number of jobs on the ground and, and helping the local economy. And hopefully it'll be profitable as well. Beautiful. Now, I, I've seen your videos and not to, you know, 
start a a, a war. But kind of like the nomad capitalists, you seem to stay out of North America and especially the U.S. I don't know if I've caught a video of you in the U.S. Uh, is there any reason why, you know, besides the violence here in the U.S. <laughs> that, you know, we don't we don't see you say, hey, you guys, I came for a visit with my bulletproof vest and I'm here and I'm gone. Look, I mean, I, I, I love Americans. Um, you know, the, the U.S. was a great country. Um, you know, I don't have anything against the U.S. It's just my travels have taken me to to other places. That's it. Like no issues. OK. No, OK. Not, not again, not trying to start any, you know, issues, but more Americans are waking up and. There's a uh, a thought out there that, oh, to travel like this, you have to be rich. You have to be wealthy. I can't do it unless I have, you know, a million in the bank. And I'm like, well, I surely I was a broke college student. I surely didn't have that. Um, I just want to know um, so people can know maybe you were a blue blood yourself or you won the lotto. But can you, you know, talk about the beginning? D did you, you know, just kind of what they call it, get it out the mud? Or were you, you know, already, you know, with your Nestle job taken care of? I don't know if you've ever done any poor man backpacking <laughs> throughout the throughout the world. I did when I was a student, I did poor man backpacking, like stayed in like, you know, $5 hostels and with all the cockroaches and all that, you know, and I did, I did my fair bunch of that. Um, good times. Look, one does not need to be rich to travel. Um, especially when you you just need to choose the places carefully actually africa is a surprisingly expensive place to travel um especially west africa west africa gets expensive um, but if you head out to central america if you head out to the balkans in europe um eastern europe turkey places like that it gets very affordable southeast asia is a bit of a write-off with the whole situation but like if i were to backpack right now I would go to Central America, Balkans, Eastern Europe. East Africa is pretty affordable. Um, Southern Africa as well. And um, yeah, places like Turkey, Egypt. Um, but just West Africa, I find is, it's just very bad value for money. I, I love the cultures. I love the vibrancy. But just logistically, getting around is complicated the borders are hard the visa regimes are tough it's just not a cheap place to travel and can you tell somebody who hasn't been but they want to go um you know i i've had these conversations and people say what do you mean africa can be expensive it's i'm a millionaire once i'm out here and i have my you know two thousand dollars and it adds up to you know whatever depending on the country but can you talk about is it the taxi is it the food is it the hotel what do you find to be so expensive look if you really want to like completely go local and take the local minibuses and you sleep in like hostel hostels and you eat food, you know, from the market, um, you know, off the street, it's fine. Like you'll be all right. But as soon as you want anything imported, as soon as you want a, a bit more comfort, um, you want air con, you want, you know, just to have like a, a hot shower or something things can get very expensive very quickly. So it depends on the traveler's capacity <laughs> to really adapt themselves. Like I know myself, 
when I travel, I can't just have local food all the time. I, I, I need to, to eat like Western food, you know, at least I'd say half the meals. I can do half local, half Western, but that, that Western meal in Sierra Leone that I have every day will be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it will. And, you know, um, expensive is always relative. People don't understand. And I, we do this when negotiating with drivers, um, whether we're in Sierra Leone or Cameroon, um, my wife is from Cameroon. And when people say, hey, we'll give you this nice air conditioned car. You know, it's one of the few that you'll find $60 a day. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be here for a month or two. I might as well buy a car. You know, there, I could buy a $3,000 car <laughs> and, and, you know, I could send my car, um, you know, to wherever I want and I'll just leave it. I was needed a reason to get like a Lamborghini. So let me get rid of one car. Right. But um, not that I have a Lamborghini, people. Don't, don't, don't. No, we, I got kids. That's wouldn't be a smart move. But it, it can be expensive, especially if you don't know how to negotiate. And you know, when you do want those Western comforts, as you you mentioned, um, just getting that Western price. You know, you're never going to get the local price for those things. So keep that in mind. The wandering investor is giving us a lot of game. I want you guys to share this game, but um, tell them where they can find you, the best place to tap in, tune in. I love your website, thewonderinginvestor.com. But in case you love Instagram or maybe, you know, another platform even more, let them know. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So the the best way to follow me is to sign up to my free private list on the website. So it's thewonderinginvestor.com. And there's a private list. You just put your email and then you'll receive all the updates. I'm on YouTube and Instagram as well. The Wandering Investor. You and guys Instagram been- has quite a lot of travel content in my stories as I travel around. And you're very generous on your Instagram because I saw, you know, you episode like it was like minutes or so on there. And I said, huh, he put that on there. Well, maybe his Instagram is monetized, but many people, you know, well, YouTube or Facebook will pay me more and it goes back and forth. And it just seemed like you put it out there because you really want people to have the information. And and I, I love that. So I'm going to say this because you'll never say it about yourself. The wandering investor is going for sainthood, people. Make sure you write your letters and, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you Call CNC, Sky News, and of course, African Young Voices TV and radio and say, hey, we want to nominate him for a humanitarian award. You guys, (laughs) yes, Uh, you guys have been blessed by the game. If you do nothing else, share this with somebody. It will change their life. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.